All right, welcome. This is Beck Barnes and Jim Stebbin of Cotton Grower Magazine. We are coming at you from the most happening spot in Memphis, Tennessee. That is, of course, the Cotton Grower Studios here in lovely Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, again, uh, with the Cotton Companion podcast, we are coming at you in this, the first week of November. So uh, we know that whether you're picking out there or you're stripping out there, you may be ginning out there, or you may already be done and have... Uh, yourself in the deer woods and hunting already. Uh, We want to welcome you and we thank you for joining us. I am joined as always by my partner in crime, Mr. Jim Stebman. Howdy, Jim. Hello, Beck. Hello, everybody. Yeah. And so as I say, we are are in studio today. I'm feeling personally a little groggy as my body clock (laughs) does not do well with daylight savings, uh, which we had which ostensibly gave us an extra hour on Sunday morning. I feel like for me, it just means I stay up later than I should, and I'm still waking up when I used to, um, if that makes sense. Uh, anyhow, it's um, it's got me a little messed up. Uh, on a lighter note, we have lovely weather here today in Memphis. We finally have some sunshine, some fall-type weather, and uh, we know that, uh, uh, fortunately, there's been storms a little bit uh, out there in the belt, notably out there on the high plains in the southwest that we're going to discuss a little bit, but we hope for the rest of y'all, if you are still out there, you're having a day like we're having here in Memphis. Makes me want to be outside. So uh, anyhow, first things first, we want to bring you a short message from today's sponsor, Phytogen. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. So, all right, that is a timely Phytogen ad, as always, because this is the moment when we want to bring you a brief custom content segment featuring our own custom content editor, Miss Robin Sichtberg. And she recently spoke down with an old buddy of ours, Dr. Chad Brewer. Chad is the Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist for Arkansas and the Missouri Boot Hill. So we'll bring you that custom interview segment right now. Hello, I'm Robin Sitberg, custom content editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. I'm here with Dr. Chad Brewer, phytogen cotton development specialist for Arkansas and the Missouri Boot Heel. Harvest is in full swing right now through the cotton belt, and fortunately many growers have seen some really good yields this season. And because Chad spends a lot of time in variety trials and working with growers, he has a pretty good perspective on what happened this year. Chad, one of the things I've heard a lot about this year is about the yield protection package that comes with the newer Phytogen W3 FE varieties. Uh, What can you tell us about that? Uh, Thanks for having us on the show, Robin. So there are a lot of good yield numbers coming in across the cotton belt this year, especially in my geography. And I think there are a lot of good varieties out there on the market. Um, One of the things that I really like about the phytogen varieties is that we do have the ability to protect our cotton yield with some very advanced transgenic traits as well as some breeding traits. Phytogen Wide Strike 3 was the first three-gene BT product on the market, and it continues to excel in um, controlling cotton bollworm. It contains the VIP3A trait, and we've been working with that trait for a very long time. So the other transgenic trait would be the Enlist Weed Control System, which is tolerance to glyphosate, glufosinate, and 2,4-D-choline. And that weed control system really offers a lot of flexibility for growers, both in application timing and uh, tank mix options for controlling Palmer amaranth, which it does exceptionally well. Well, those are the transgenic traits. How about the phytogen breeding traits? How do they protect yield? That's another great question because good thing about our dual gene root knot nematode resistance is that it lasts season long. It's uh, built into the plant, so 
it doesn't wash off like a seed treatment would or maybe even some inferral options. So it's a genetic resistance that lasts season long. The other thing we have is 100% resistance to bacterial blight, which, as you know, in the north, mid-south can be devastating to a cotton crop. One of the things we're bringing forward in 2021 will be a reform uh, resistance plus dual gene root knot. So definitely going to have some advancements in our uh, breeding traits as we go forward. You combine the breeding traits and the transgenic traits, and you've got a really a nice package that protects all the yield potential of these phytogen varieties. Well, I'm sure that's going to be some welcome news for growers to have more tools to deal with um, some of those problem pests. Uh, we're about out of time, so thank you so much for being on the program. Um, I really appreciate the information. And if growers have questions, they can go to phytogen.com for more information. Thanks again, Chad. Yes, thanks for having me. Okay, big thank you to Robin and to Chad there. And uh, with that, we're going to get rolling on this, the 59th episode of the Cotton Companion, and it should be a good one. Uh, Jim is going to lead us in our news segment. He's going to be talking, uh, what are we talking, crop progress, which he was explaining to me earlier should really be called harvest progress by this point. Exactly. Uh, according to what, that's the reason <clears throat> we, we waited a little later today to wait on that report to come out, and so he's got the latest numbers from USDA for you. And uh, also, he's going to be mentioning uh, uh, EPA revisions and pesticide applications and a couple other things that will be of note for y'all. Uh, and after that, we're going to bring you an interview that he recently conducted with Miss Lauren Krogman. Is that correct? Krogman? That's correct. Uh, and she's at the NCC. She is one of those who are currently scheduling and planning for the upcoming belt, Beltwide Cotton Conferences, which are going to take place over there in Austin, Texas in January. So uh, excited to hear from her about that. So anyhow, Jim, before we jump into that crop progress or maybe uh, by way as a segue into you starting to talk crop progress, I just wanted to mention here uh, because I had a lot of people in the Mid-South who were very curious and reach out to me about the snow event that they got in the northern high plains there that last week of October. Uh, I think uh, they, uh, I know Amarillo got a, a boatload of snow maybe uh, there around October 24, or October 25, I forget. But um, I think, unfortunately, that's been a, <laughs> a symptom of a greater pattern that we have seen out there on the high plains this year, especially that nor- northern high plains where uh, people have been worried about crop deterioration uh, because of this cold fall, this cold uh, autumn. Uh, not a lot of heat units to be had out there, and we know that that's what the cotton likes uh, in that run-up to harvest. So um, all of that said, I, I don't know that the market has <laughs> – farmers in the Mid-South, when they see a headline like that, they are put in the kind of clumsy position of feeling uh, sympathy for uh, their uh, co-folks that farm as well out in the Southwest – but they also uh, are in the, again, kind of awkward position of standing to maybe see a little bump in prices if the crop out there is uh, deteriorating significantly enough. But I don't believe that's what we've seen, is it, Jim? That is not what we have seen. And I don't, uh, just from what I've what I've gathered from talking to and reading some, some recent economic news, particularly over the weekend, late last week and, and even today, uh, the market's still sort of sitting in its, its usual you know, 63 to 67, 68 cent range. Yeah. Uh, depending on the day, 
you know, you may get a little bump, but it's uh, it's having a hard time breaking through that ceiling at this point. Yeah, and and to be sure, the guys who were asking me about this snow event out there watch that cotton market a whole lot more faithfully and more knowledgeably than I do. But I'm always reminded of a, one of the first interviews I did when I came on at the magazine about 10 years ago. Uh, interviewed an old Jenner from, uh, down in the Mississippi Delta, and it was 2008, it might have been 2009, but we had cut back on acreage throughout the belt that year, and prices were had kind of were suffering in that time period. As Mr. Bill Kennedy was the one who told me this down in Inverness, Mississippi, he, he ran a gin down there. But anyhow, he says, you know, Beck, what we found out this year was uh, – we don't think the world cares whether or not we plant a boatload of cotton. You know, I think that everybody was crossing their fingers and hoping the prices were going to shoot up. Uh, and that's kind of the situation that we find ourselves in now. So uh, I think sometimes that market doesn't have quite as much of a hair trigger as we would like to see it have. But again, that's that's me speculating. And I know most of y'all watch it a lot close, more closely than I do. So at any rate, uh, Jim here, uh, as I've stepped all over, probably what he would like to talk about with that crop yeah, progress. Yeah, I got nothing left to talk. So. <laughs> <laughs> I want to uh, I want to turn it over to him and let him lead us in uh, the discussion of the news items of the day. So, Jim, go for it. Thank you, Beck. Uh, as as you mentioned, we are uh, we're looking again at the at the red hot numbers from USDA uh, for the week ending November third. And uh, we've really kind of reached that point in the cotton season where all of the focus is shifting to harvesting and ginning. Uh, we've talked about bowls open. We've talked about crop condition uh, for the better part of the season. Well, you know, realistically, the bowls that are open are the bowls that are going to be picked. And really and truly, the crop condition doesn't matter at this point. So USDA recognized that too. So the report we got this week focuses exclusively on cotton acres harvested. And I think, Beck, as you and I talked about, we, we really kind of anticipate that they're going to add some ginning numbers to this report here within the next week or so. Uh, at least that's been the, the history of this report over the last few years. But anyway, this week's report is showing that 53% of the U.S. crop has now been harvested. That's a 7% increase in the past week. We are still slightly ahead of the five-year average for this date overall. Now, last week's weather uh, not just the snow in the high plains, but also a lot of rain here in the Mid-South and, and still over in the Southeast, slowed harvest in most parts of the cotton belt. But when you look at the report, you will see that every cotton producing state that is mentioned in the report showed some percentage increases uh, in the past week, ranging from 2% in Louisiana, where things really just kind of stopped uh, because of the weather, up to 11% in Georgia. So not a whole lot of huge movement in the market, but at least it's uh, it's still positive. And in all, right now, seven states are still running ahead of their respective five-year averages on harvest. So we'll uh, we'll take a look at the numbers here again in the next couple weeks uh, and see where we're headed on that. <clears throat> Moving ahead, uh, we got word last week that Cotton USA, which is the uh, trademark of Cotton Council International, who is the, the organization's the export promotion arm of the National Cotton Council. That's an awful lot to say about, about Cotton USA. Yeah, I was you impressed. Know, try, trying, to, trying to explain that. <laughs> but anyway, Cotton USA has signed a partnership with a company called Oratane to provide some industry-leading forensic verification of origin for U.S. cotton. Now, this collaboration is going to be get, basically give the brands and the retailers 
who are looking for responsible sourcing and purchasing decisions, it's going to give them the assurance they need to make those decisions. Now, while this level of traceability may be new, the U.S. cotton industry obviously has prided itself on producing and delivering high-quality cotton that is the most sustainable in the world. And they're doing this to improve fiber properties, increase productivity, and shrinking their environmental footprint. All of the cotton-producing regions in the U.S. are aiming, certainly, to keep reducing those greenhouse gas emissions, soil loss, water energy, and land usage. But to achieve the level of traceability, as we understand that the industry is, is demanding, or attain is going to use forensic science. So we're here at CSI Cotton at this point, basically. Yeah. Uh, use yeah. forensic science to detect trace elements in the cotton itself. And soil composition and other environmental factors will give the cotton an inherent fingerprint specific to each location, what the company calls the origin fingerprint, and will provide absolute proof of where a particular cotton was grown. It can, cotton can be tested at any stage from the farm to the shop floor, giving buyers complete assurance the product has not been substituted along the way. So guaranteeing origin is going to address traceability challenges faced by the global cotton industry, including minimizing the risk that supply chain partners may blend product with lower quality fibers. Now, this new partnership will, be, will kick off, uh, obviously, with the 2020 season. It follows a successful pilot program and a pretty rigorous blind test that Oratane uh, managed, uh, during which samples collected across Arkansas, Mississippi, Oklahoma, and Tennessee, uh, the company was able to identify those samples with 100% accuracy as it moved through the marketing chain. So that's, uh, that'll be a big plus. That'll help with, uh, with a lot of the sustainability efforts and, uh, and transparency movement in, in cotton. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that and see how this works out uh, as we move into, uh, move into the next season. Yeah, you know, I, I've talked a lot about that trip that, um, <clears throat> that I took down to Natchez with BASF's E3 program a right. couple weeks back, and, mm -hmm. and I, I talked a lot about it on this podcast, <laughs> and I wrote a lot about it in the November issue. So I won't go long here about it, but I will say uh, the demand for this type stuff, traceability in particular, is out there. I mean, I was out, I was on that trip with so many of these sourcing folks from these retail brands, Gap, Land's End, uh, several others, JCPenney. And they all say, well, the, you know, what's new is that customers are asking for these questions about traceability and sustainability. So, you know, this is anything, this partnership Cotton USA is doing, uh, to that end, it is a good partnership because buyers around the world care about this stuff and it's going to be better for US, U.S. cotton the more they care about it. So this is a good deal. Well done to Cotton USA. Yep, absolutely. And uh, we'll, we'll see how that works out, particularly in conjunction with a lot of the other sustainability programs that are out there. Yeah. Okay, moving ahead, we're going to uh, take another look at the National Cotton Council for a moment. Uh, last week, or on October 23rd, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency uh, issued a proposal to change some aspects of uh, worker protection standards that were finalized uh, under the last administration. And these, uh, these proposed, this proposal that was announced provides some much-needed changes to the Application Exclusion Zone, or the AEZ. Uh, with these changes, obviously, the National Cotton Council has, uh, has expressed its appreciation to EPA for making this move. 
Now, I had to do some homework on this because I, when you start talking in, in acronyms, it gets a little confusing. Yeah. But apparently the AEZ is a 25 or 100-foot unoccupied floating area around any pesticide application equipment that moves with the equipment. So basically, if you're running a sprayer through the field, you've got either a 25-foot or 100-foot almost circle surrounding you okay. as you're in the field. I follow that. Okay. okay. The zone is to remain unoccupied during the pesticide application. The problem that arose in all this, however, is a lot of farmers have homes and buildings that are often adjacent to or neck, you know, or in some of their fields and would have to be vacated under the AEZ rules as they were written while application was going on. Uh, also, you got a lot of fields that are adjacent to other properties and public roads where a farmer has or applicator has absolutely no control over. So the proposed revisions are going to, number one, modify the application exclusion zone to be enforceable only on the farmer's property. Second, it will exempt immediate family from having to leave their homes or outbuildings on the, around the property. It, number three, it clarifies that applications can resume as soon as an individual has vacated this, uh, the AEZ and it will simplify the decision-making process on whether this zone should be 25 feet or 100 feet. Uh, in a news release when they announced these changes, EPA, administ EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler noted that the proposal would make this application exclusion zone provisions more effective and easier to implement, uh, and a lot of this is due to uh, input from a lot of the stakeholders in the ag industry. Meaning farmers, I'm uh, meaning sure. Meaning farmers yeah. primarily, yes. Uh, NCC, obviously, my, their chairman, Mike Tate, uh, said he uh, believes these changes, when finalized, are going to provide some much-needed assurance to farmers and applicators. It's going to reduce their potential liability, eliminate the loss of usable field edges, and still protect human health and the environment. So uh, it uh, seems like some positive changes. Yeah, there. well, some more livable, more yes. real-world applicable Some more common changes. sense. There you go. There we go. Uh, this proposal, like anything else, uh, will be open for public comment for 90 days from the date it, uh, it's published in the Federal Register, which may or may not have been October 23rd, but somewhere in that area. So roughly we're in a three-month uh, three period for comment at this point. If you uh, have an opinion or would like to, uh, to chime in, uh, I'm sure the EPA would be happy to hear from you. There you go. And one last item, uh, New Farm. New Farm Americas has opened a new uh, 104, a little more than 104,000 square foot manufacturing facility for their crop protection products. This new facility is in Greenville, Mississippi. The port city of the Delta. The port city of the Delta. The queen city. Yeah, absolutely. My, also my hometown. There you go. And uh, they, uh, they opened this during a special event, October 23rd. Uh, featuring some of their company management, regional channel partners, and the governor and some other officials from the state of Mississippi. Now, this facility is going to support New Form's expanding portfolio and will give customers in this Delta region some good access to high-quality crop protection products. The state-of-the-art plant capabilities will help meet the distribution channel's increasing need for just-in-time inventory. Uh, this facility will employ 68 people. It was named by the Trade and Industry Development as a 2019 Top 15 Community Impact Award winner. 
and recipients for this are chosen for their ability to benefit the economy, enhance quality of life, and build stronger communities in a specific region. So congratulations to New Farm on that. Uh, for some more information about this new facility, including a few photos, uh, you can certainly find those on cottongrower.com. Yeah, yeah, it was a great event, and uh, gosh, they had the governor of Mississippi down there, so good for New Farm, good for Greenville. Um, happy on a uh, good and selfish reasons, I'm happy to see uh, some jobs created down there in my old hometown. So anyhow, well done to New Farm. So Jim, I believe that was the last item, That's the wasn't last it? item. Very good. Uh, I've got, we're going <clears> to <throat> hold up there then, and we're going to go now to this interview that you conducted with uh, Lauren Krogman. Uh, down there uh, at the NCC's offices, we have certainly been taking advantage, uh, taking advantage of being right down the road from the NCC's uh, headquarters here the past couple of weeks. It's the second straight interview that Jim has just hopped in the car and run down there and grabbed. Uh, to uh, so this one, uh, the subject of this one was going to be uh, about the Beltwide Cotton Conferences, which again are going to take place there in January in Austin, Texas. And I know that the council works hard to produce uh, an, uh, an itinerary for that thing that's got a little something for everybody. And so I believe that was the subject of y'all's talk, right? It, it was. And uh, anybody who's ever been to Beltwide uh, realizes pretty quickly what a monumental task it is to pull all this together. There are a lot of moving parts. Uh, there are a lot of topics to cover. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, for anyone to uh, to coordinate this, so that was one of the things I talked to Lauren about, uh, and and had her just give us a couple of you know some information on some of the key topics of interest that uh, they'll be covering this year. Very good, very cool. Okay, yeah, not everybody gets to just show up and eat real eat real big and uh, have happy hour and uh, anyhow that's. Occasionally, my experience, especially when they do it in New Orleans, I, I eat too much uh, on those occasions. Anyhow, we will hold it right there and bring you the interview with Lauren Krogman of the National Cotton Council right now. Welcome to this episode's Market Minute. Since we're still waiting on some positive market movement, we're going to branch off again and explore what's coming in the 2020 Beltwide Cotton Conferences, which will be held January 8th through the 10th. I'm joined today by Lauren Krogman, Manager of Marketing and Processing Technology for the National Cotton Council and Coordinator of the Beltwide Conferences. Lauren, thanks for taking time to visit with me today. Thank you very much. You know, I, in, in getting ready for this, this interview, I went back and looked at some of the history of the Beltwide Conference, and it looks like the first official conference that the NCC coordinated at, at least sort of as we know it today, was back in 1955, and it was, uh, it was here in Memphis, although there were some related meetings dating back into the, the late 1940s. Um, I was trying to count how many of these meetings I've been to over the years, and, and it's, there's just too many to count. And this is, what, your third year to coordinate this? That's correct. Okay. What are the, some of the challenges in pulling a meeting like this together? Um, mainly it's just having to branch off to so many different contacts and people and getting everyone together in one central uh, meeting place is always difficult. Um, we do our best to work around schedules and um, January being one of the easiest times for everyone to get together. Um, but really just pulling pulling so many people from different backgrounds together in one place is always a struggle. Just the physical coordination of getting everybody mm -hmm. there. 
Yeah, with with so many people attending, it's uh, and chairman and just uh, hotel staff and everyone here within NCC staff that works on this. Mm-hmm. It's just there's a lot of a lot of hands right uh, that work together for. And, all you, and you've got a lot of folks out at the universities who are also helping with mm-hmm. some of the coordination for some of the individual conferences. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. So a lot of our chairs and vice chairs are. Uh, college educators or um, extension mm-hmm. members as well. So, Okay. Um, meeting's going to be in Austin this year. This is a, this is a first. Uh, sort of joining, uh, I know San Antonio and Dallas have been uh, on, on the list of past Beltwide locations. Uh, what's, what's, what's the attraction? What's the, uh, what's the reason for going to Austin this year? Well, Austin is a big hot spot right now in Texas, and it came up as an opportunity for us to be able to, to be there and host from there. So um, that was something we took. And, you know, great food, and hopefully everyone will be able to uh, join us and won't be such a long drive as such as, like, New Orleans. So Okay. Um, can you kind of give us an overview of some of the key sessions and, and maybe some of the topics of interest that attendees uh, will find when they get to the meeting this year? Sure. Um, so st- sustainability will be a really big topic again this year. Mm-hmm. We've actually broken it out into its own conference. Um, so that will be a, a large a large one. Um, we also will have new traits in plant varieties, uh, latest chemistries, a lot of lint contamination prevention, since that's been a hot topic still. Um, regulatory issues, and then also precision agriculture equipment. Okay. Uh, and usual, then, just the usual economics and, and things like that, the other ginning, uh, ginning conferences, mm-hmm. uh, all that is, is still on the books, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, mentioned earlier that meeting dates are January 8 through 10. Um, what do people need to do to register? for the conference and, and reserve housing at this point? So registration's available under the registration tab of the Beltwide website, which is cotton.org forward slash Beltwide. Mm-hmm. And housing has its own tab as well. And uh, you can pre-register for housing as long as it's before December 16th, you'll get the discounted rate. Okay. Um, what are some of the, what are the registration costs for, for folks who are interested in coming? So costs of registration will range between 80 to 400 to $500, depending on who you are in the industry. Um, but just to mention, students will get a discounted rate of $80. So we really would love to have some, some students there. Okay. And growers, their attendees or attendances would fall into which category? Um, depending on whether or not they're members of NCC, that could be 200 or if they're not members uh, or non-U.S. attendees, that would be between the 400 and $500. Okay, that's great. Uh, well, I know there's still plenty to do to get this conference uh, ready to go, and I want to thank you for your, uh, for your time and sort of the sneak peek at what uh, growers, consultants, researchers, and others can expect come January. Thank you very much. All right. We'll be right back with the rest of this episode of The Cotton Companion. So, all right. Well, we want to give a big thank you to Lauren Krogman of the National Cotton Council. And uh, again, she's another example of any of the fine folks there at the National Cotton Council who work day in and day out on behalf of our industry. 
and uh, boy, we were happy that she would make she could make time for us. And uh, yeah, happy again uh, about our to take advantage of our geographic advantage of being right down the road, so we can just scoot down there and bother all those hardworking people uh, whenever we whenever we get an idea to go do it. Actually, they're always very gracious with their time, and we appreciate it. All right, so that's going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to thank Phytogen for sponsoring us, and we want to thank you, dear listener, for uh, for joining us. If you like what you're hearing, by all means, tell your buddies about us. You farmers need to be listening to us even as you go into your off-season. Uh, you can get to our podcast in three easy ways. The first, go to cottongrower.com and add a forward slash companion such that it reads cottongrower.com forward slash companion. The second way, you can subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever it is that you find your podcast these days. And the third way, the best way to make sure you listen to every episode of The Cotton Companion is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News. You can do that by going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, make sure you're following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter, and on Facebook, you can find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope that you're enjoying our latest issue, the October Product Guide, and uh, the November issue is due in your mailboxes any day now, so keep an eye out for that. This podcast is produced by Mr. Tyler Hatch, who works at the mothership Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you on, in two weeks for the next episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Mr. Jim Stebman, we wish you and your farm all the best. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of the Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com. <laughs>